Hello and welcome to The Appetite, a podcast brought to you by Opal Food and Body Wisdom, an eating disorder treatment center in Seattle, Washington. I'm your host, Carter Umhow, a therapist, artist, and writer. Today I'm talking to Opal's co-founder and nutrition director, Julie Church, and we're going to be discussing emotional eating, overeating, compulsive eating, kind of all across the board. There's a lot there's a lot to say about it. We found on the podcast that we have leaned more toward talking about making sure that people are getting enough food, combating diet mentality, and we don't believe that overeating is necessarily the opposite of dieting. There's a lot of overlap actually, but we are going to be focused more on the kind of the emotional components of it and what might be happening for people that lean more in the category of feeling like they're out of control with food. Hi Julie. Hi. <laughs> so how would you define what what term are we using? Yeah. Are we using overeating? Question. Are we talking about emotional eating? Right. What's what here? Okay. <laughs> we could talk about binge eating too. So there's okay. binging and compulsive overeating. Okay. And then I think emotional eating is something that happens within the context of both of those behaviors, but also can happen outside of those behaviors as well. So maybe I'll just start with defining binge eating. Right. Okay. Binge eating, uh, according to the DSM-5, in terms of actual clinical level of binge eating, is eating a larger than normal amount of food in a short time, right? So it could be eating all that somebody normally would eat in one day in two hours. And you have to always think of it in that like range of more than normal in a shorter period of time. So then we can have more of a subjective conversation around binging, and maybe that's more of a compulsive overeating. A way to use that term is somebody might feel like they have felt out of control with the food and eating, but then they have not done that maybe in that quantity or in that pacing, like with binging. Mm -hmm. And the one thing I feel like I missed in terms of the definition yeah. was that it comes along with a sense of feeling out of control. So you've got this large quantity of food, short period of time, and feeling out of control and, as defined binging. And you would probably feel a lot of discomfort in your body, too, from actually eating past yes. fullness, it's, it's Right, and that's fullness. there are some other criteria of saying you feel guilty and shame about it. There's a sense of overfulness. Some of those things get fuzzier, and I would say then can allow for someone to maybe say, gosh, am I compulsively overeating? But that actual binging in a clinical way would be just those two. So in research for this episode, it came to our attention that a lot of people actually use compulsive overeating and binge eating synonymously. And we're not actually going to be doing that today. We're talking about them as two separate entities that have a lot of overlap. Mm -hmm. So that might be confusing. But I think that that actually speaks to some of the confusion that's out there about what it means to binge. Mm -hmm. and what it means to be compulsively overeating or just overeating a little bit. But we are hoping to address this topic more for kind of the everyday person that might think that they're overeating. Maybe they are overeating, but they're not going to be diagnosable with binge eating disorder. Right. Totally. And I would just want to start with clarifying that overeating at times is normal eating. It's a part of what can comprise a normal eater's patterns with food is that they're sometimes going to overeat. And being impulsive, I think, and I don't know if this would be the same word, but kind of spontaneous or maybe not very thoughtful with food at times is also part of a normal relationship with food. And emotional eating also is a normal part of our 
eating and is needed for us to survive as a species and truly is one of the core elements of our food relationship. And so just that overeating and maybe even impulsive compulsive eating and emotional eating is something that can be very normative also. I think I want to spell out maybe what some of this would look like. Okay. Get some more specifics around it. One of the examples that I would bring to what you were just saying about not being thoughtful about food. I I was just thinking about walking around the farmers market, which is something I do a lot on Sundays. I love it. And I get so excited about all the stuff there. And typically I'll have a meal at the market. And then I'm also like, oh, I want to try that. And oh, that looks really good. And oh, I want that. And I'm not really tuned into my hunger a lot of the time when I'm doing that. I'm more in a place of excitement and interest and not being super thoughtful. And that would be a place where there's just not thoughtfulness around food. And then there are other times that I might be sort of just like snacking and grazing and maybe I'm bored and maybe I'm feeling kind of sad, but I don't know it yet. And I'm just like searching and wind up eating things without even recognizing that I am. To me, those would all fall into a category of normal. Right. Yeah. There's some emotion driving you. Mm -hmm. You are having some mindlessness, some impulsivity. The one thing you didn't name is maybe overeating any of those things, but would you throw that in the mix? Overeating any of those foods when yeah. I'm eating them? Yeah. 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 I definitely was more on the side of compulsive overeating and binging when I was younger. And I would describe those behaviors for me as, I mean, definitely objective binges at night alone, embarrassed, lots of food, a small period of time. Yeah. But then there were also a lot of experiences that I can remember when I was younger, and even actually still now when I'm anxious socially and I'm at a party or something and there's a lot of food around, yeah. I can be sort of compulsively still eating and mm -hmm. still eating and still eating because of my anxiety. And that was something that caused me a lot of stress when I was younger and had an eating disorder and made me feel a lot of shame. Mm -hmm. And now I don't care. I think the party environment <laughs> such a perfect visual yeah. for a lot of this. And for some that really struggle with this uh, on a regular basis, it would be an event like that or a being in an environment like that could start a binge, right? So somebody might be nibbling, being impulsive, doing some emotional eating because they're anxious and all that stuff, and then sort of go home and have it continue, right, into even more overeating and secrecy and so. out of a place of guilt. Yeah. Embarrassment, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things that comes to my mind is how how, do, how then does one know if any of these behaviors are problematic? And I tend to think that we have to look at the regularity of it. So frequency, how often is it happening? The intensity of it. So how like out of control do you feel and how distressing is that for somebody? And then the intention and purpose. So like what for what means is somebody engaging in food in this way. So for escape or controlling others or even self-harm, distraction, like what are some of the intentions and purposes? But I, I think recognizing how these behaviors can weave into a very healthy life <laughs> and then they also can very much show up and lead to somebody's life being really taken over by them. So I think frequency, intensity, and intention could be some elements that could help us recognize if they're problematic or not. 
Another word that could be used instead of intensity would be impairment. So level of impairment, how much does it actually get in the way of these normal patterns of life? Like, are you spending all weekend long staring at a screen, eating, and that's all you're doing? There's no engagement with others. Everything is related to getting the food to be able to be present with the food and doing the behaviors with the food. That would be inhibiting other elements of one's life if it's falling through with tasks related to work or school or following and being committed in a relationship that maybe has some expectations on you that would impair those things. And back to the example I gave of like being at a party, Mm -hmm. there were times in my past where it was definitely a form of both escape and self-harm and distraction all at once where it allowed me to be so kind of obsessed with my own experience. It didn't feel like obsession in a positive way, but looking back, there wasn't as much flexibility to be able to be engaged in a conversation or have a nice time or feel connected to anyone else other than sort of the turmoil in my brain and my body as I was compulsively eating. And then the aftermath of that would be a lot of shame, a lot of guilt, a lot of self-hatred, and no awareness of or possibility to feel connected to others, Mm -hmm. which is probably why I was doing it, because that was probably already a little bit there. Mm. But Mm-hmm. Definitely impairing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whereas at these days, I'm never getting never getting to that point. Mm-hmm. It's never about that. Mm-hmm. The little baseline anxiety, probably. Sure, that's all. Yeah. Would all of the food behaviors that we're talking about at this point be kind of categorized as like stress eating? People use that phrase a lot. I think of stress as an emotional state. So I don't know if you think of it the same way. So I just think that when somebody's stress eating, it's emotional eating. I would just put it in that category. Okay. Yep. That makes sense to me. And how would we contrast this to the kind of overeating that we've talked about in many other episodes where it's maybe coming more from a place of restriction initially? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. If you've listened to a lot of other episodes I've been on, I probably have referred to that. You've probably heard. Yes. If there is not enough eating, we are going to be led to eat. And especially if we're real hungry, we're going to end up more easily overeating. So I think about that as the biological need to eat and the sort of biological elements that can lead to binging. And so, yes, we can set ourselves up to binge, to compulsively overeat and feel out of control with eating if we have not eaten enough. So I guess to expand the conversation beyond just that, okay, if one is not eating enough, then we're probably going to end up overeating and maybe binging and feeling out of control with food. Then what? What if we are eating enough? Like what if somebody is eating regularly and feeding their body enough and even having that sort of checked out, quote unquote, by a nutrition professional to say, yes, that is enough food for your body and somebody is still binging? Then what? What are the other ways to address the pattern of binging? And I would hope that we can get more into that because I I know that not everybody that is overeating or feeling out of control with food is doing it strictly out of a biological craving and need. So if you are eating enough and your overeating or emotional eating isn't coming from a place of restriction, what are the sorts of work that you think need to happen? Yeah, the first place to start is just trying to better understand one's relationship with food. So what are the patterns and beliefs that one has. I think a lot around the story with somebody's food, so recognizing what they believe about it, and do they have permission 
with food and do they have full access to food? These are pretty foundational themes, which I think you've also probably heard in the podcast before if, you've, if you're a listener, but is just that to be able to break the cycle of turning to food and believing that it's going to be ever powerful and solve all of our angst and pain, we do, I believe, have to put it in its place and we have to put it in the place where, okay, it's not my savior. It's not my demon. <laughs> it's kind of in the middle somewhere. And so I do believe we have to have permission to eat and not have bad foods and good foods and have a neutral relationship with food and then have access to it. So making sure that those foods that have been historically not given permission or demonized by family or culture, that one can have access to them and build trust in their own ability to eat them in a sort of normal quote unquote way. So I think that food relationship work is really, really the first key part. And part of that can be some mindful eating principles that kind of come in. Mindful eating is something that is talked about a lot culturally. But when I say that, I'm thinking about slowing down, noticing taste, having some appetite attunement work. That's another whole, like in the moment of eating, what are you paying attention to and how are you deciding to keep eating or stop eating? So I don't know what what you think about both of those pieces and, and how that even plays with your own story or other thoughts you have about those. Yeah, I think that the idea of locating what your relationship to food is or a specific food in particular. Yeah, because people usually have common foods they're binging on. There's a grouping of foods that a person is gravitating towards to compulsively overeat or binge on, right? Yes, and and there's – I don't know if this is always the case. I know for me it definitely was and for most people I talk to in in my work too, it feels like people have a story – related to that food, mm-hmm. whether it is a food that is an identity marker for other parts of their life or other parts of themselves that they are trying to get rid of or binge on at times or hide or like there can be identity things in different items of food. There can be actual stories around foods being monitored, restricted, demonized by their parents. And then what does it mean to be eating those things it can give a sense of control or power to be able to indulge on your own terms <laughs> or whatever else is it a huge screw you around weight is it a source of control in another way is it a food that is really like always been comforting mm-hmm. there is i think often a story behind the foods that we choose and so understanding the story can be really helpful to then have some control again over like when do I want to actually engage that story and and be connected mm-hmm. to myself mm-hmm. in a place that says like, yes, for me, like one of my big binge foods when I was a kid was bagels. Mm-hmm. And the place that I got the bagels is like the best bagel place in the entire world. <laughs> uh, there's nothing wrong with those bagels. But the way that I was eating them was harmful for me. Mm-hmm. And now... They're very filling bagels, and I don't get to have them very much. But there are times that I choose to have, like, a bagel or two or more in a day because I, like, have access to them and I'm so excited. It's not necessarily the thing that's going to make me feel best in my stomach that day. going to, like, actually feel kind of heavy if I have a lot of bagels at once. Mm -hmm. But to be able to try bagels that I, I love and adore and taste so good and I feel excited about is a choice that I can then make mm-hmm. and feel attached and excited about that and know where my limit is around what my body is experiencing. 
Can you pinpoint like how you started to do your work around that binge food? Is there anything that you'd be able to share in terms of some of the first steps that had yeah. I I think that my first steps were awkward steps in attuned eating. I started learning about intuitive eating and really trying to pay attention to what my body was experiencing. And so I got more language and slowed down the process of my eating. And I really wasn't focused on re- my restrictive eating. Sure. Definitely at the time I was more concerned about my overeating, my compulsive binging. And there was restriction there that I tended to later. But the experience of being attuned to what was happening in my stomach and emotionally and literally just drawing it out and sometimes writing down, this is what I'm experiencing and this is my hunger level and, like, am I full now? There was a a, kind of an obsessive process, Mm -hmm. to be honest, around, like, am I full now? Am I a little bit hungry? Am I this? Am I that? Am I Like, Mm -hmm. constant attention to what was happening Mm -hmm. as I was eating because I was often so checked out before. And so I sort of swung a little bit to the hyper-focus, not in a way that was harmful, but really different than my numbing. I think that awareness is one of the first steps, just having people pause to be aware of what they are doing or engaging with, not asking for themselves to change the pattern or the amount or the frequency or the environment or the type of food or the quantity of the food, but just have awareness and Over time, what I find is that with the awareness, if somebody is willing to stay present in the moment of their engagement with food, then there is more the ability to say, oh, wow, my – I'm starting to feel some of the fullness cues or I am starting to not have the satisfaction of emotional numbing because Mm -hmm. I'm having to stay aware, you know. So I think that awareness is such a huge first pause or step, Mm -hmm. not asking oneself to change anything else. For me, awareness was probably one of the hardest parts, not just to acquire awareness, but to actually choose awareness, because I think that some of the reason why I was using food to numb out was because I didn't really want to be aware. Yeah. So (laughs) to go the opposite way and say, like, okay, I'm actually going to choose to know what's happening in my body meant that I was also choosing to acknowledge what are my feelings? How do I actually feel around my friends? Do I feel okay around them? Do I like them? Am I feeling anxious all the time? Am I feeling sad? What's actually happening for me? Like that question is so much deeper and so much scarier and was really easier to just eat and get to a place of like total numbness and pain in my stomach so I could focus there instead. So mindfulness, Mm -hmm. attention. Yeah, Yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. So – I guess when we're thinking about bagels, that's on my mind just because you brought that example up. I like your up. Midwestern accent. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You've got the East Coast way. I'll say the mid- Midwest way. <laughs> um, is when somebody is also trying to address what to do, if this is the pattern, oftentimes people are do extreme measures to make sure they don't get access to the food. So they give their loved ones their cash credit cards and everything, you know, or they lock up a cabinet in their home or something to really interrupt the binge pattern. And as I said earlier, I do believe that access to food with permission is such a key thing. But I think people still push back on that going, like, really, though, like, if I just constantly have the bagels in my house, I I don't, I don't know. I don't trust myself with that. And I would say that it has to come 
in a season of trying to figure out how one has access and taking steps towards having more permission and access, that each person's sort of next step goal with that is different. So do I say go buy four bags of bagels? Do I start with what's your permission going to the bagel shop and buying the one bagel? Like where is your permission and your access begin? And for some people it is going to be in their home and some might be going to get it with permission and figuring out that balance to allow for one person to take a step that can feel informative, experimental, and uh, allow for learning about what else could happen with permission. And there might be that first phase of feeling maybe more out of control once you have permission. Mm-hmm. And that would be to be expected. Mm-hmm. Yes, especially if you're coming from a place of a lot of restriction biologically. But yes, even beyond that, people having had so much of the desire for a particular food be so pushed down that it is very common to see the floodgates sort of go the other way and somebody not find balance right away. That is not a common experience, is that somebody is going to go from maybe excessively overeating or binging on a particular food in secret or whatever to to move towards exact balance and comfort with it. So it's going to be messy. So yeah. the process of of changing a pattern around binge eating or overeating. I think I said this maybe in our episode around attuned eating. Like if you're not listening to your body, you haven't established a good relationship and mm. your body's not going to give you the cues right away and trust that you'll listen because you haven't been listening. And when you talk about the floodgates, that idea comes up again to me. It's like if you're restricting so much, there's going to be a floodgate of permission or anxiety even, or a kind of opposite reaction Sure. in the same way that would be there if you refused to cry for a really long time over something that was horribly hard, and then you, like, burst into tears or have a panic attack. Mm-hmm. Like, there's going to be some sort of opposite reaction. And so coming back to center and, and incorporating sort of emotion and food together in a mindful, balanced way is hard work. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Are there other coping mechanisms or skills or tools that you would think of that someone might try as they try to address the relationship to food? When you say coping like that, I think I mean, I don't I don't know I'm going to answer your question, but I'm going to okay. go in a different direction maybe, but I do want to just say that food is a coping mechanism, right? So for a lot of people, this pattern of binging or overeating is a way that one is coping with difficult things in life. And it works. Biologically, it works. There are ways that our body does get soothed, does get calmed, does have more positive production of some hormones and neurotransmitters that then give us more of a calm, positive feeling, happy feeling. So food works. (laughs) And so if one is in the pattern of turning to food, then just know that, okay, that can always be in your toolbox (laughs) to be something that you can use to cope and use to soothe and use to calm. And if that's the only thing that you're using to cope with those things in life, then that's where there needs to be some diversifying of what other things can be in the toolbox. And it makes makes an important point in my brain that if somebody is struggling with depression or anxiety or going through a, a season of, of intense grief, 
those things, they can't just be stuffed away and think that binge eating is going to be treated with some of these things we're talking about, mindful eating and trying to work with permission and access. If the grief or the depression or the anxiety is being untreated, food is always going to probably be the self-medication somebody's using. So I guess just to name that they both need to be treated together or mm -hmm. if you do in your work find that some of these other underlining emotions, feelings really, you know, are there, then having other work to address those is going to also be a pretty key element to not finding yourself in your pattern with food. I'm glad you said that because that feels like a really wonderful reminder to me of how much more complicated my process was. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's yeah. easy to forget that after so many years, but mm -hmm. I think that I did a lot of attunement work, but I don't think that things really, really changed mm -hmm. until I took some huge risks to change my life in a way that was going to actually establish some spaces where I could be healing emotionally and do that. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I was still struggling with food before totally. I was happy, mm -hmm. happier mm -hmm. at least. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Given your stance on, like, full permission, is there ever a point at which having any sort of goal, parameter, rules around eating and food could be helpful for people that are more on the under-controlled side of things with food? I think it's a good question because oftentimes people still want some guardrails or they want some guidance. And there is a place where at least in my work as a dietitian with clients, that there can be some of those, the meal planning or kind of mechanical eating phase, which is very helpful. A lot of that is getting more towards the adequate eating and being nourished to make sure somebody is truly nourished. But those can feel like goals or rules or guidelines to people for sure. And the hope is that it's going to activate the natural attunement and appetite processes that then they're going to feel that internally to go, ooh, this is the right amount of food for me. But I know that the <laughs> our food relation is more complicated than that. But I think I'm very careful with beyond that, like, eat <laughs> enough food and sometimes giving people some specifics about how to do that. Rules beyond that or guidelines beyond that, I, I struggle with. But I think my example that I said about Maybe some people are going to buy three bags of bagels and some people are going to go to the bagel shop and buy one bagel and take it to the park to eat it. And those are both examples of permission. And some people might hear me say that and go, well, I hear that as you're restricting that one other person because they're only getting to buy one bagel or whatever, you know. And I would still say that that could be a rule. You could look at that as a rule or a goal. <laughs> what would be the goal? is bring in the bagels and see what happens. Go to the bagel shop and see what happens. So do you eat the one bagel and then feel an impulsion to have to go back and get more? Or does it lead to a cascading binge for the rest of the day? Or having two bags of bagels in your house actually leads you to feel more comfortable and more at peace because the bagels are there. Like for some people, it's like, I need two full bags of bagels at all times in my house. And that's what actually prevents me from binging. You know, you just never... No. So sometimes those are goals. And I would say with the hope of experimentation and taking risk and just learning. But I don't believe that locking oneself up or saying I cannot eat something, a particular type of food, is going to be 
helpful. I mean, this feels like related to attunement work with food. Some of what you're saying, whether it's having one bagel at the park or two bags at home, it's about paying attention to what's happening for you, not just your hunger fullness, but what is the emotional response that I'm having when I only get one? What's the emotional response that I'm having when I have six? What's the emotional response I'm having when I have full access versus when I don't? Like, how are you responding? And some of that requires a lot of introspection around what your relationship to the food is to begin with and what the story is. And so my one tip that I would have for people that was, I think, helpful for me as a writer, but I think helpful to others as well, is just having like a little place where you can jot down notes about your experience and notice like, okay, what am I feeling? How did that feel in my body? Am I wanting more? What was, you know, just asking yourself some questions and being curious about your response. Mm -hmm. And it could actually, maybe you would say that you did this, but I've also given people the recommendation of not saying that you have to do that for your whole eating experience that one evening, right? So maybe it's awareness and writing and attentiveness for 10 minutes. Yeah. Honestly, right? And just taking what you can from the first 10 minutes of your eating experience with whatever in that moment and then moving on. I know that it's the one mm, challenging is where to stop the impulse, right? Like when can one be aware? This is impulsive, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's hard to catch before one is entrenched in the pattern, in the behaviors. So that's something that I would just say have a lot of compassion for yourself if it is hard to find that moment where you can have the awareness. And sometimes it might be the five minutes after it's all done, said and done. <laughs> or it could be the next morning wherever you want to begin to have that awareness moment is going to help put down some information (laughs) to build on what you might believe or what you know about your own food relationship. And that awareness moment, when it is stripped of guilt and embarrassment, is where that actually becomes helpful. And that can be another process of learning to have self-compassion and learning maybe even I think that this is particularly helpful if you're aware of the story related to the food. If you're aware of yourself in relationship to that food for many years in your life or as a kid or whatever, how do you talk to yourself or engage yourself as a kid that maybe just really wanted a lot of candy? Or, you know, how do you build the compassion into the way that you're thinking and talking about it rather than waking up the next morning and going, oh, my gosh, like, I can't believe I did that. I hate myself for that. I feel gross. I feel this. It's like, okay, that happened. What was I experiencing? How was I doing? Did I need something? Was it delicious? You know, all the different questions that could be asked after that. And the tone matters. Thank you so much for listening. If you have any more questions about this topic, please feel free to reach out to us on Instagram, Facebook, throw any questions our way we would be happy to answer anything or maybe even record another episode one day that addressed anything else. And if you want to learn more about Opal, our services um, and our programming, please visit opalfoodandbody.com or you can continue to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. And make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you are aware of any new releases. Thank you so much for listening and thanks to Jackstraw Cultural Center for sound engineering, to Aaron Davidson for the Appetite's original music, and to Hans Anderson for editing. See you next time. Bye.